0: Hey, everybody, welcome to FinTech Insider Insights. I'm Sam Maul. On today's episode, we're going to take a look at credit scoring in the US and specifically focusing in on the part of the population that doesn't necessarily have a credit score for a variety of reasons. So, making their FinTech Insider debut, we have Maureen McIsaac, who leads up data analytics at Nova Credit. How are you doing, Maureen?
1: I'm doing well. Thanks, Sam. Happy to be here.
0: What part of the world are you in? I'm in San Francisco at the moment. Oh, lovely San Francisco. One of my last vacations I had, which seems like decades ago. If you don't mind, can you tell us a little bit about Nova Credit?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, Nova Credit is a company that helps newcomers access financial products in their country of arrival. Uh, and we do this by translating a person's foreign credit history into a standard US equivalent format that's familiar to American underwriters. Uh, And that enables them to accurately make a lending decision. Um, And immigrants don't have a credit history when they arrive in the U.S. I'm an immigrant from Canada. I didn't have one when I came here, Um, which means that they're immediately at a disadvantage in any financial application. Um, And it's ultimately a pain point that millions of newcomers to the U.S. face every year, uh, regardless of their financial background, academic standing, or employment status. Uh, So we currently support over a dozen live countries, including India, Mexico, Brazil, and Canada. And we are always expanding to uh, to new regions.
0: And the most important question: what part of Canada?
1: I am from a small island in Nova Scotia called Cape Breton. Oh,
0: that is beyond cool, by the way. We, we need to talk offline. I love Nova Scotia. Back in the back in the 80s when I was on submarine, we always code to Nova Scotia, and Halifax is like a, a pearl of a city that takes us in, by the way. So there's a rabbit trail for everyone. And Our second guest, Angela Ceresny, CEO at Climb Credit, who has been on the show before, has done live shows with us. Hello, Angela. How are you doing?
2: Hi, Sam. I'm good. Thanks for having me.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about Climb Credit and how it's been going?
2: Sure. Um, Climb Credit is a uh, payments and financing business that's focused on expanding access to quality education. So we what we do is we partner with um, trade schools and vocational schools who have a proven track record of increasing their students' earning potential um, by helping them get into higher earning careers such as technology, trades, and healthcare. Um, once we partner with those schools, we become part of their um, enrollment process. Um, often sort of running the payments and financing checkout part of of the enrollment process. Um, And the reason we exist is because uh, most traditional um, payments and financing businesses that are focused on higher education are focused on the more like traditional market, the four-year degrees um, that um, people are familiar with and have sort of overlooked the vocational and skills-based training market, despite the fact that it's quite large and offers really great um, results to their students. Um, And so our product, both the technology side of our product and the financing side of our product has been sort of tailored to that market and both the needs of the schools and sort of how they enroll students, and then also the needs of the students and their um, kind of profiles, which are, I think, often different than someone who's enrolling in NYU for a bachelor's degree.
0: So there you go, folks. Two great companies, Nova Credit and Climb Credit. We should name it Eleven FS Credit. Then we'd have a, a great <laughs> slogan. Go. That's that's a that's, that's coming soon, everybody. That's a, a news announcement that we'll we'll let everybody know about. All right, with that, let's let's get into the meat of the show. So we're going to talk a little bit about what credit scoring is in the U.S. And to do that, we would need to do some you know some scene settings and a quick recap. So in the U.S., your your credit score gives you an idea of how much companies may view you. And how much they'll give you when you apply for credit. So a good score would be good news if you're hoping to get a new credit card, apply for a loan, a mortgage, um, heck, you can go to college. A uh, good credit score enables people to get access to better rates on loans, access to a wider range of credit cards, and better deals on purchasing everyday products such as mobile phones. Now, there's no magic number when it comes to your credit score. The uh, Credit reference agencies have their own evaluations, but anywhere roughly between 881 and 960, considered a, great, a good credit score well, in the U.S., a great credit score. Very average credit score can be anywhere from seven hundred or seven twenty-one and eight eighty, depending upon the credit agency. As credit scores are not transferable between countries, immigrants in the U.S. can face struggles when arriving in the country as they have no existing credit score to demonstrate. As Marine basically <laughs> said when she came to the U.S., I went through the kind of the same thing when I went to become an expat in the U.K. Um, lived in the U.K. for five years, came back to the U.S., and guess what? Credit score was an issue for me because I had a five year gap when I came back to the U.S. So it's definitely something that could take a little bit of a kicking and and maybe change a little bit about it. So let's now take this from a focus of immigrants in the U.S. economy. All right. So immigrants coming in and what they do. So. Forbes has reported that 55% of American billion-dollar startups have an immigrant founder. That includes companies like Tesla, Affirm, Green Sky, Avant, Warby Parker, among others. So there's clearly a huge chunk of the U.S. economy made up by immigrant founders. And as immigrants form a large chunk of the U.S. economy, what big implications could there be for this population that are left out of the basic financial system? I am giving you guys the softball question there. Who wants to dive into this when we talk about the immigrant population? Marie, why not?
1: Yeah, happy to take it. Uh, so first of all, it is a huge chunk of the U.S. economy. Um, there are over 10 million only recent immigrants to the U.S., um, and there are hundreds of millions of migrants worldwide, uh, so it's a substantial population, um, and the financial system, when it's functioning as it, as intended, it should lend funds to people who need it and then get that back, that money over time when they can repay. So there are two implications on the U.S. economy, um. The first is that aggregate U.S. consumption, uh, which is the largest part of the U.S. economy, uh, is significantly lower than it should be because lenders are denying funds when someone needs that money the most, uh, which forces them to cut spending. So a newcomer arrives in the U.S., they would like to rent or buy a home, they want to buy a car, they want to get a phone, and without U.S. credit history, they can't do any of those things uh, because they get rejected. So they live with family or roommates, they might walk or uh, bicycle, they get a prepaid phone. And um, in general, they spend less than they would otherwise. Uh, And that's a huge amount of household consumption lost to US economy every year. Uh, The second implication is that the stock of human capital, so education, invention, knowledge um, is also lower. So a bright graduate student from Nigeria can't access a student loan here in the US. And that means that they're contribution to uh, the world of science or technology is, is totally missed out on. And uh, I think, Sam, you you highlight a few uh, well-known co-founders, and, and there are many, many other to choose from. Um, and so this is a loss in kind of both for for the U.S. economy and, and for those people as well, very personally.
0: So Angela, I'm curious from your standpoint, how does this manifest itself with the, some of the customers for Climb Credit?
2: So um, first of all, I, I just want to commend Maureen and the team at Nova Credit and what you guys are building. My uh, The first 10 years of my career, I spent uh, running underwriting and risk analytic teams at Amex and then over at Citibank. And figuring out what to do with the expats was always like very top of the list because most financial institutions, including those, are so based on the FICO score system that Sam highlighted and like we would, you know, often, you know, I, I remember in particular getting a, a loan application or an, a, a, a um, credit card application from a an exa- Japanese executive who had a black card in Japan, no credit history. And like the systems within Amex didn't talk to each other. And we denied him for like the basic something like blue card or whatever. and And I remember it was just like, It's like you looked at that situation, and you're like, "There's got to be a solution to this." Like, (laughs) but like we don't have it yet. So, anyway, I think that's you, because I believe you guys have partnered with Amex, and so um, thank you to my former colleagues for helping solve that. Because it was it was never a fun conversation to have with like the more senior people. Like, yeah. Anyway, um, so uh, but specifically at Climb, I actually our focus um, on kind of like low or, or like no, no credit tends to more be with people that are just new to credit in general as opposed to expats. Although we definitely, um, see a mixture of both in the kind of, um, in the, in the consumer mix that we support at our schools. Um, but we, we tend to see a little bit more of the, like, just, you've never had a credit card. You've never interacted with the, uh, kind of credit or banking system, either because you're quite young or because potentially, you know, you grew up in an underbanked household or an underbanked neighborhood, and now you are, you know, going to school, um, trying to like maybe emerge from whatever circumstances you grew up in to to earn a more middle class or upper middle class um, uh, life. And in order to get that, you need credit in order to finance education. And lo and behold, you don't have any yet. Um, And what we've done is we actually, our underwriting um, model that we use at CLIMB doesn't require any, there's no minimum FICO threshold. So we'll actually approve people at any FICO level for a loan. Um, And we've sort of created a structure that enables that. And that's really important because that means we can approve far more people to go to the programs that we work with so that they can access the education that then unlocks income on the other side. Um, But kind of more importantly, something that we've learned in all of the sort of all the loans that we've made and the and the financing that we've provided is we're able to show that people with no credit perform from a payback perspective uh, substantially better than the people with the lower credit profiles. Um, but they're often lumped in there, right? So yeah. often if you have a product, for it's like for low or no credit together. Um, and we happen to have the data set to be able to look and to see if that makes sense. And so we've been able to advocate for better rates and better terms for people with no credit um, because we've actually seen it play out that, someone not having credit is different than having bad credit.
0: You know, we've had uh, Nikki Golimus and co-founders of Nova Credit on our show before. She's a good friend. She's come to one of our virtual happy hours. It's just a lot of fun. Um, And and she told me kind of the founding story behind Nova Credit and where the idea came from. So Angela, I've got to ask, where did the idea come from for for Climb credit? What was the spark there?
2: Yeah, so um, I'm actually not the founder of Climb. I joined after the company was about a year and a half Years old, Um, but the the founding team I think saw an opportunity um, to begin with with the coding boot camps. So General Ah, Assembly and some of the other coding boot camps were getting off the ground, um, really uh, filling a kind of a demand for for labor in our in our in our workplace of just like if the way that we're going to fill computers, you know, computer science. Roles is through four-year bachelor's degrees from colleges. We're never going to catch <laughs> up. Um, yeah. And the reality is, is so much as we all know, so much of what you learn in a career you learn on the job. And so um, the coding boot camps were sort of a, a I would say, like a, a micro market that we started in, um, created a, a program, a loan program for them, and then realized that, like, lo and behold, there's a ton of other schools out there that teach in other kind of industries or verticals that have the same problems as coding boot camps. Um, In that, the current financing and payment options that are sort of off the shelf for schools, just like they're oriented towards having a big financial aid office. They're oriented towards you taking federal loans. They're oriented towards people going for semesters over and over, not just one time. Um, And for in-person decision-making, like all these things yeah. that you think of when you think of like, again, an NYU or a University of Michigan um, financial aid office, like don't exist at a general assembly or a, you know, a health training program or a program that, um, you know, teaches people how to operate heavy machinery or be electricians. It's just a different, it's just a completely different school.
0: <laughs> makes all the sense in the world. Um, and, and again, when, when Nikki had talked to me about the Founding story for Nova Credit. You know, you just that light bulb goes on, and you go, "I can't believe no one really dove into this before." And so that was some part of what she talked about. And the Marine, if you can expand on it, the issues you face as an expat or an immigrant when you're coming to the US with zero credit history here, what what is that? I mean, some of it sounds obvious, but it's not. What, what all does that block you from?
1: Yeah, I think it's uh, it's surprisingly not obvious because yeah. many many people will never move countries in their life. So this is not something that uh, many people will ever face. Uh, I actually went to the UK to study when I was 18 years old um, and found out immediately afterward that I uh, could not get a phone contract. Um, At that point, I wasn't even thinking of getting a credit card, uh, but found out later that I wouldn't have been able to get one. Um, But moving as an adult, uh, where you are in your home country and everything is functioning as expected, you know, you uh you have a car, you have a an apartment, um, you're really excited to take this new opportunity. Overwhelmingly, people who, who migrate across borders do it for opportunity. Whether that's a job, um, a new life, uh, a new family, um, or or studies, these are all really exciting things. So you arrive, you get off the plane, and suddenly uh everything you were excited about is out of reach. Um and we talk to our customers all of the time. Actually, two-thirds of our company identifies as immigrants, so it's something that we're intimately aware of. Awesome. Um, but, yeah, you have to, you know, you use your phone, you use the same phone number from Canada. That's what I did. Use that, do that for a couple months and, and kind of eat the, the long-distance charges. Um, you get roommates if you need to. You stay with family maybe. You might find, uh, many people find credit unions that are tied to their specific immigrant community, um, of which there are, like, several diaspora communities in the U.S., especially the the Dominican and Filipino diaspora communities are, are very tight knit, um, and so you kind of look for support where you can find it. And ultimately, you really rely on Facebook groups of Canadians living in the Bay Area or meetups of Australians. Um, and you say, "Hey, did did everyone did this happen to everyone?" And they'll go, "Yeah, it's it's the most inconvenient thing in the world. It'll follow you around for years. It takes years to build credit, um, and ultimately, it's a problem that until until Nova Credit came along." Um, you know, millions of people faced, um, and it's it's really disruptive.
0: Yeah, can I flat out say if you're dependent upon Facebook groups to solve a problem, we're screwed. <laughs> I'll just go ahead and make that statement for everybody. No no offense to you, Mark, but come on, man. Um, <laughs> let's Let's hopefully find a better solution. Um, yeah, it was funny when when uh, Nikki was doing our show, the comments that were coming in, because um, we do this on LinkedIn live. And she did our breakfast show. You know, we had folks from like, you know, Nigeria, Ghana, um, the Philippines going, are you here? Please tell me you're here because we're talking about coming over to the US because it is this, this whole concept. And again, I'll I'll be blunt as an expat. So I I moved to the UK back around 2005, 2006 to do about a five-year stint there. It never occurred to me that I was going to be screwed when it came to credit over there that for me to get a car, for me to rent a house, you know, uh, my company had to, basically act like my parent and co-sign for everything up until I got credit going. It was a royal pain in the neck for somebody who was making decent money, to be blunt, at the time. So I wasn't ready for it. I'm, I'm also curious to hear from from the two of you. Uh, we we had a executive order yesterday by President Trump. Um, I promise I won't go into politics, everybody. An executive order talking um, about visas here and status in the U.S. So, Back in August 2019, the Trump administration unveiled a new rule that would deny permanent legal status to those deemed to be a public charge, a person dependent upon the government for their welfare. The new rule came into effect in February of 2020. Under these guidelines, the government would look at such criteria as credit histories and credit scores. Gee, I think we found a problem there. And whether the immigrant has used public benefits in the past and whether they have money to pay for private health insurance. The rule applies to immigrants seeking a visa or a change in their immigration status. So um, obviously <laughs> there's an impact there too right i mean we're we're compounding the problem i think is a safe thing to say
2: yeah at every level of our society it's always better if we're letting more people in right so like you just from a macro perspective growth is better than contraction right like nothing stays the same and um you know, I mean, the way we grow in part, the way we can grow is by letting more people in so that they can, you know, be productive members of our society along with the rest of us. And like we've seen, it's like, it's incredible that we forget that that's a formula that works because it's the formula that, most people, but like that is the formula that we've had, right? Like I am the, you know, second generation Italian American and and Jewish American, you know, like I have family that came from from Hungary and I have family that came from Italy and they came here and they didn't speak any English, you know, and they did their trades and they figured it out and then they made a better life for my parents and then for me. And like, I just don't understand where we lost the thread on that. And like that, we like forget that that's a thing. Um, I don't know. And and I see it in my company, you know, like we have a number of people, um, you know, our, my climb is a diverse company and we have a number of people who are, you know, born in the US, but we also have a number of people who we sponsor on visas because they were the best people for the jobs. And it, it scares me that, you know, those, people are here, they're contributing, they're great, you know, they're great employees of climb and great members of, of our society and economy. And that like, we are making our country less welcoming to to them and everybody else is really frustrating.
0: Yeah. I have a name for this episode. It's going to be off of Hamilton. My favorite play that line immigrants. We get the jobs done. So, which by the way, Hamilton will be on Disney plus July 3rd. We're having a viewing party at my house. We're very excited, but no, I mean, I, I, I know this, we we see this at 11FS, and this isn't just unique to the U.S., right? In England with Brexit, um, you know, put, having an employee who you're sponsoring, one, isn't cheap. I mean, it's an investment. Uh, I don't care if it's the U.S. or the U.K. or wherever. But, but, and then losing people because of that situation and, and, and a, a government or society kind of going down those lines, which has taken place not only in the U.S., you could say, you know, the same in the U.K., Brazil, you know, we can keep running down the list. Um, it's, it's frustrating. And I, I'm curious, Maureen, from your standpoint, how much talent do you think we're losing actually, because of all the complexities, not only with the regulatory side, but just the credit side?
1: Yeah. And I'm, I'm happy to go a bit more into the public charge rule if that helps. Cause we, it's interesting, Sam, it is a, it is a political item, but, uh, when you're one of the groups affected, it's also just, you know, it's your life. And this is true for, yeah. for the people in our company, for the people in in yours as well, Angela, and, and families, um, and so we kind of don't have the luxury of, of remaining uh, apolitical, I think. So actually, Nova Credit signed an amicus brief uh, last year, along with companies like Microsoft and Twitter that represented over a million people and over a trillion dollars of contribution to the U.S. economy, um, challenging this rule actually before it was put into place. Um, and under the public charge rule, uh, otherwise legal immigrants could be denied a temporary visa or green card if they meet any number of disqualifying rules, including if the individual has a poor credit score in the U.S. But also if they are too old, if they have debt, if their salary is not high enough, like uh, there's a whole set of reasons you could you could deny someone a um a visa under this rule. Um, and credit scores take years to build. So a newcomer's U.S. score doesn't reflect their credit worthiness. Um, according to the federal reserve, recent immigrants are 25% less likely to default on their loans than non-immigrants with the exact same credit score. So yeah, we should be helping immigrants to overcome these disadvantages because ultimately the U.S. economy really needs immigrants. um, Newcomers make up more than 60% of the population growth in the U.S., and that's expected to rise to 81% by 2030. Um, So it's really kind of not a choice. I mean, if you want people to fill uh, jobs, everything from highly skilled jobs um, and every other uh, kind in between, uh, the U.S. needs people to come and and help grow the economy. Um, And so hindering immigration slows economic growth for the U.S., um, it prevents businesses from expanding and ultimately, and maybe more importantly, it just, it's not core with the value, the stated values of the country.
0: You know, it's, and it's even funnier, um, when you, when you think about this, uh, take the flip side of this. So we're, again, we're talking about some folks that, you know, highly educated, know what they're doing and coming in on the flip side of it. Um, due to a lot of the restrictions that have been put in place. I live down in the South. I live in Jacksonville, Florida. So I'm close to Alabama, close to Georgia and here in Florida, um, Massive issues with crops, by the way folks uh because no one's doing the work because the people that would normally do the work and pick those crops aren't there um, and others aren't stepping up. I'll just go ahead and throw that out there um, I've seen this firsthand my my sister and brother in law uh, own an incredibly large farm in South Georgia they own an i g a which is an independent grocery store and um uh, there's supply chain issues that are happening because of decisions that we make based on, I think, I'll just flat out say a lack of knowledge and a lack of understanding of the situation. Um, even, even, And, and I, I, I want to talk on the credit side when it comes to climb credit, because this is something that's near and dear to my heart, Angela. My, my father was an iron worker. He had to pay for trade school, right? You don't go to college for that. Right. And by the way, you can make a nice living as an iron worker. I'll just flat out say that. Yep, you can make a nice living as a plumber. Oh, Yeah. I
2: have firsthand knowledge I my I had to get some plumbing work done in my house during uh <laughs> during covid <laughs> and, every plumber, and every plumber every <laughs> plumber that came over I'm like where would you go to school
0: <laughs> <laughs> we, we all needed that don't worry uh, but we all no, we, I mean, we all needed that There's
2: I think um you know my my view and this has definitely evolved and and heart. you know sort of been in, more informed in my time at climb is just that like there's no right path both from an educational perspective and from a career perspective, around like how you should earn a living, and that people um, are going to be happiest doing things that bring that bring them joy and that play to their strengths and what gives them energy. And if that is being outside, right, then like don't get a desk job, right. If that's interacting with people and being, you know, like being on the phone and and, and talking to people, don't be a software engineer, <laughs> you know, like, and, and, but if it's not talking to people and you would love to just sit and, and be in a, you know, and, and, and solve really complex problems and like, maybe that is. And so I think, but I think that we, um, I don't know, I think that we devalue certain work or certain career paths, um, for no real reason at all and um, need to stop doing that um, and really understand the value that like every human being that's in our society brings to our society, whether it's an immigrant working in the, in the, you know, uh, farm that your you know family owns so that we can all have food on the table, or it's, you know, the, the, the founder of a company that's grown and become massive, you know, I mean, it's like everything in between and we need all of it. Um, And so we need to make sure that 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 we value those and that we and that the people who want to be in those jobs and contributing to our society, that we like let let them do that.
0: Yeah, I'd say and and, and to be fair uh, to the current administration and not just sit there and slam them all day. This has been a problem in the making over the past few decades to where it was you have to go to college. You have to get a four year degree. Yeah. The student debt crisis that we're going through as a father of four, whose third youngest is about to head to. Um, University of Central Florida um, school is expensive, but I think we have, we've set this over the past few decades, just this concept that, you know, trade schools shop in, in, in high schools that we have here, that concept um, just aren't valued like they, they should have been. Right. And you need balance in a society and able to operate otherwise, and you need balance in immigration too. Um, so going back to Nova credit, just a little bit, I'll also a personal example of this in, in North America, the AI capital, pretty much, of North America is not in the U.S. It's in Montreal. It's in Toronto. We have such a flood of talent. Go to Toronto and Montreal because the Canadian government, to a large extent, has been very open to that type of talent. Um, Maureen, you're nodding, so thank God, because I said that off the cuff, and I sure hoped I was right. But from everything I know, Montreal and Toronto are in massive hubs when it comes to AI. So we've, we're seeing some of the effects of that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think both Montreal and Toronto have have wonderful centers of excellence in in university.
0: Yeah.
1: Um the the Quebec educational system is overwhelmingly extremely accessible um both uh for entry requirements and also just for, like financially um to to citizens who live in Quebec. Um, there are a number of high-profile um, AI scientists who have lived in Canada for a number of years and, and continue to to contribute to those ecosystems. Um, yeah, I mean, there are a number of other draws to Canada. I think if you are not worried about your uh, employer paying for your health career or, um, you know, when the news we saw yesterday of the halting of H-1B and uh, H-2B and J-1, L-1 visas to the U.S., um, that's going to enormously impact especially the uh, technology sector in the U S um, and, and many, many other sectors. I think, uh, you know, yeah. with, uh, with the huge impact of COVID it's become clear that, um, immigrants make up a huge section of the healthcare workers, um, of nurses, of, of caretakers in, in homes, um, in hospitals. And those are people we need to to stay alive.
0: Yeah. We've, we've seen that impact. I mean, obviously 11FS is a UK based company. We've seen the impact in the healthcare sector, Um, and some of the the downstream impacts of Brexit, for example, there, especially you compound COVID on top of that, you know, global pandemic is very good about showing the cracks in a society, which a, a, a blooming economy and everything else tends to hide. Right. Um, moments of stress. That's when you see the stress factors that have taken place. We have a lot of those, um, across the society here in the U S and in the UK. So, um, Thank God for companies like Nova Credit and Climb Credit that can, can start to talk to some of these uh, folks. Believe it or not, it's time we need to take a quick pause. We need to hear from this week's sponsor, so we'll be right back in this conversation. This podcast is brought to you by Equinix. Equinix is the world's largest global platform of interconnected data centers, enabling fastest application performance, lowest latency, and a digital ecosystem for financial services. Its platform of over 200 data centers worldwide protects, connects, and empowers the mission critical infrastructure for over 10,000 businesses. Find out more at equinex.co.uk. This episode of FinTech Insider is brought to you by MyTech. Combining the world's best forensic experts with the industry's most advanced technology, only MyTech delivers banking grade identity verification with the highest possible assurance levels, massively reducing risk, fraud, and cost. Discover more at mytechsystems.com. Okay, with that, let's get back to the show. So for the last part of the show, We want to talk a little bit about how you build up a credit score, especially as an immigrant in the U.S. Because, you know, this this is challenging. We've kind of talked to that. You know, Maureen, you've actually lived it. Um, You know, I've lived it when I went to the U.K. You know, Angela, you're you're smack dab in the middle of New York. You are surrounded by an incredible um, immigrant population. So let's let's start with this. What are some of the basic financial products you can't have access to without a U.S. credit score?
1: Oh man, that's a long list. So you're not getting a, you're not getting a student loan. You know, you can get accepted to an Ivy League school, um, and you can get denied for a student loan, or you can try to take one from your home country and, and worry about the currency risk there.
0: I hadn't, I hadn't actually thought of that one. Yeah, the, the currency fluctuation could absolutely burn you for that. So let's say my son decides he wants to be a pipe fitter, right? So how would he go through working with Climb Credit? What what would happen there?
2: Yeah. So, uh, well, first of all, I want to say, I think there are some companies that are um, on the student loan side that are focused on um, international borrowers. Um, it's obviously international students are a big um, and important sort of base for uh, our traditional four-year colleges in the U.S. because... Um, they all pay full price, um, where a lot of sort of domestic students um, will often be qualified for some scholarships and things like that. Um, I don't work directly with that market, so I don't know all the details, but I do know that that's like an important sort of, that's an important constituency for them. And so there are a couple companies. The one I know off the top of my head is Empower. So I think what's interesting is that some of the innovations come in in a few different places, right? So like, what are the reasons why um, companies are reticent to give credit to people who are new to the country. And it's, it's both that they don't have credit. So you just like fall through the cracks of that. Uh, but there's also um, particularly for longer duration, like a student loan that's like 30 years long or something like that. There's another risk that, um, that lenders see, which is around servicing risk. So uh, again, if you're going to get a 30 year loan, um, the, lender needs to feel confident that they're going to be able to collect the money from you over a 30-year period. And if you've just moved here from whatever country, anywhere, right, um, one of the risks that gets identified is that, you know, you go to school, fine, maybe you make your payments, you do your thing, and then you leave, and then they'll never be able to find you again, and you're not here to collect from. And so some of the things I know Empower has done this and other companies have done is like, create a servicing infrastructure that helps minimize that risk so that if you do go back to wherever you're from or decide, you know, the U.S. isn't for you for whatever reason or whatever, <laughs> all the stuff that's going on right now, but for whatever yeah. reason you leave, that they, they will still be able to collect from you in a way that's like efficient and effective. Um, and so I think that... Um, that that's doesn't matter as much for like other types of credit products um uh, but certainly for the longer duration like larger larger ticket items like a student loan um so anyway i think it's like obviously nova you're doing awesome work with empower and i think like there's just there's it's there's all these opportunities for companies to help solve the like the, like, the myriad of, of issues that the capital markets will raise in trying to extend credit to people who maybe don't fit the traditional box. Um, on, the, on Climb, if your son wants to be a pipe fitter, a welder, a medical assistant, a electrician, a plumber. Um, first, you have to figure out what you want to do. Um, Climb is happy to chat about that with you, but that is not our uh, kind of primary skill set. Once you know that you are interested in a certain vocation or career path, often people learn about them through other people in their family or their friends um, in their community, then CLIMB can help you find the schools that meet your criteria. So that are either in your area or online if you need to do remote learning that are part-time, full-time, depending on kind of like what your preferences are or your needs based on your life. And then um, you, you apply to the schools Um, most good vocational schools, uh, have some level of sort of like aptitude or, um, aptitude might be the wrong word, but some sort of test to make sure that like you will be successful in this career. Um, and so sometimes it's an aptitude type thing, but sometimes it's more of like, like if you're going to be a truck driver, you gotta like be cool with being on the road. Um, and so the best truck driving schools really know how to vet that out and how to make sure that the people that they're admitting into their program and that they're that they're putting into those careers are really well suited for those careers and will be will thrive in them um, and so that's like a unique of a, a great skills training program has really really strong admissions processes that like weed out people who maybe like don't fully understand or haven't really well thought out the career that they're choosing to go into. Um, Then when you need that, so once you've decided you're going to go and you want to pay, you pay through climb um, and we offer different kind of payment and financing options, including loans um, that we offer through the school. And then once you're there, you get the training and then the other really important part of any skills training program is offering career support, um, which usually includes actual relationships with employers, um, like active and intense help on interviewing and like making yourself be sort of uh, desirable to those employers um, and then support once you're in the career um, to the extent that you still need more kind of help or guidance. Um, And the schools we work with often have like really strong programs there post-program.
0: So tough question, Maureen and Angela. I'm able to get a congressional committee together, either with the current administration or say we have some turnover in a couple months. And we're going to talk about immigration and we're going to talk about credit. If I could get you at the table, what's the one or two things you would recommend from a from a congressional standpoint? And and let's say I have bankers around the table too. And I have Visa and MasterCards, I have the networks. I have, I have everybody there. I got the head of Harvard and, Stanford never will, sitting at the table. I'm giving you the microphone and you get three minutes to speak. (laughs) No pressure. Maureen, where would you start?
1: Great. Uh, I'm so excited. And I think that um, this really aligns with what Nova Credit is doing in reality. We are engaged in advocacy efforts um, most recently to... Um, have stays on on an automatic extension of visas that would normally expire during COVID-19. Um, we've signed amicus brief on the public charge. So I would say, great, you got my emails. Here I am. <laughs> um, I would say, first of all, immigration makes good business sense. If we just come down to it, um, 10 million people are in the US and came here over five years. Um, we we know what their credit scores are in their home country, and they are super prime to prime borrowers. These are people who want to come and make a contribution to this country. They have the skills, they're coming um, for good reason, for opportunity. Um, Every every data point that we have on immigrants says that they pay back their loans at higher rates um, than than normal citizens, um, that they're coming to work and contribute. Um, And we would say that also, this is where the world is going. I mean, Humans flowing across borders is something that has happened since the beginning of time. Um, and borders were put in after the fact. Um, we have seen enormous reduction of, of walls in terms of data transfer, financial um, access to worldwide capital markets. So really, when you look at the, the span of time, we want to be on the right side of history in the long term. And history is moving toward information, good, and people flow, flowing across borders, um and standing in the way of that is uh, the us is going to get hit by an enormous wave um because migration is just something that happens normally so i would say it makes good business sense um i would say that to the banks and the lenders we we have a landmark partnership with american express um we work with empower we work with a number of other lenders and rental enge- ed- agencies and background screeners um for tenants uh so we we have kind of an ecosystem um but i would say hey you know, if you if you agree with all of these premises, um, give us a call and, and set us up so that we can we can give immigrants um, a wide choice of of any bank or um, lender that they want to go to. So I would say it makes good business sense. I would say it's the right thing to do. You know, um, no one can look back in their family tree and, and find a time where someone stayed in the same place forever. Uh, you know, um, Angela, you were saying your family came from from Hungary, from Italy. Um, Sam, you've experienced it personally, so this is something that. It, you know, it affects all of us. Um, and, and I don't think anyone's untouched by this.
0: All right. So Angela, just to compound your problem, I got to throw education on top of it too. So, you know, no, no big deal. Remember you chose to go to climb credit, <laughs> which <laughs> it was a personal choice you made and a good one. But, um, oh my God, if you talk about immigration, now we talk about credit and then I throw in education, that's the trifecta. That's if, if I could have thrown healthcare in, I really would have ruined your day. So I won't do that. Okay, but what, what would you say if I got the microphone in front of you?
2: I mean, I think my focus would be on um, how we hold the um, higher education institutions accountable um, and make it more clear what the return on investment is for education, for everybody who wants to attend um, an institution in the U.S., and particularly for people who want to financing it, finance it leveraging federal government money, um, which... Doesn't really apply to immigrants, but actually does in a way because the price for our um, for our higher education institutions, the traditional institutions that most people think of when they think of higher ed, that the price and the reason the price is so high is in large part because of the federal government programs that are leveraged to help people get loans, um, and so then so so essentially um, in the kind of late seventies, early eighties. Um, there was policy decision that like we wanna make it really easy for everyone to go to college. So we're gonna create a lot of sort of low-cost loan products um, that people can access. And they, they used to access them through banks, but they were guaranteed by the federal government. Now they're just accessed directly from the federal government, um, in order to make them more accessible. And that that while in theory is great, the problem is is that it ends up being essentially free money to the schools because the schools get all of the money up front. When someone enrolls, um, there's no risk sharing. There's no incentive or kicker if people actually like do well after graduation, which, by the way, there is with climb loans, but not with the traditional system. And when a college is looking at um, a massive wait list, right? So there's there's essentially insatiable demand for their goods. Um and free money on the other side and essentially people willing to pay whatever it takes to go there, they're not going to cut costs. They're going to increase prices. And so what we've seen is just dramatic increasing of education, of the price of education over the last 30 years, like massively outpacing inflation and where the cost has actually no impact on, for the most part, on the major you're getting or what college you go to right? I mean, in-state versus whatever, that there are some differences there. But if you go to a private school in the United States, like it doesn't matter if it's the top school or the 150th school, it costs basically the same. And the reason for that is all driven by the fact that there hasn't been a need for, for prices to come down. And then that in, that in turn does affect the immigrants because they have to pay that price and they don't even get access to the money Uh, that the federal government is doling out. So they have to kind of like, it's a double whammy for them. Um, So I think that there's a lot of reform that's needed around how we price higher education, the incentives and how that money is doled out and the information that's provided to potential students. So they understand the real decision that they're making when they take on a student loan and what that education is going to do for them um, and what their obligations are actually going to be.
0: So I'm curious, and and I, I think we touched on this briefly. I want to make sure that we we really do address it. So in, in both cases, um, whether this be getting into the credit system or you know trying to go to a trade school or college or everything else, um, if if you don't have solutions like Nova Credit or Climb Credit, I mean, what are you doing? Are you taking out payday loans? Are you just yes. missing the system entirely? So yeah, you're, yeah, paying, so you're, you're just-
2: really you're paying really really high rates. You're foregoing altogether, right? Like, uh, you know, getting, keeping yeah. your Canadian phone and, you know, so in that case you're paying, you're paying the rates through the international charges or the whatever. um, Or you're, or you're like desperately borrowing money from your friends and family. I mean, that, that's what's happening. So
0: you're, you're just continuously compounding a problem. If it's a payday loan, you're getting into a cycle there. If it's your family, you know, never borrow money from family people. If you can help it.
1: Oh sorry I was going to it it takes a long time to build credit so this is uh this is not a problem that's faced just for the first week or the first month this is a problem that um follows people around for years so if you can't get a you know if you don't have that support from friends and family or if you can't find that in your community um you end up paying through the nose for it in, in higher fees um and lower limits you might get a secured card uh that's quite a common option or or a prepaid phone uh-huh. uh or you just kind of accept that your lifestyle for this period of time is not going to be what it was before. Um, and, and those are all suboptimal for the immigrant and for the system that ultimately would love to serve them. Um, and what's, what's happening here is is not that these people don't can't pay it back. It's just that there's this information block um, that Nova credit is working very hard to get over because it, this information exists. It's, you know, it's just over the border in, in a, um, in Burlington, Ontario, if you're Canadian and you're and you're working with um Equifax or TransUnion, um, it's just you know, it's just over the border in in CDMX, uh, if you're Mexican. And what Nova Credit does is try to say, uh, we're entirely consumer permission. So we may, we're just a platform to serve to serve consumers. And if they want to take that information um, and use it to to serve their own interests in in the US, we enabled them to do that. But ultimately, this is kind of a movement that's happening worldwide, like GDPR, uh, payment service directive, open banking is moving toward this idea that consumers own their own data and their own information. Um, and they have a right to it being used uh, in a way that helps them, which is I think also um, ultimately what Climb is doing as well.
0: So here's the advice I constantly give every time I go do a shark tank or dragon's den or whatever we call it these days, I can't even keep up. When you're in front of startups, all right, or folks with ideas, when you're approaching something and you're looking at use cases, make sure the solution you're providing is is pretty narrow but incredibly deep, right? Find something that's got, that impacts a ton of people and you can solve, you know, very specific use cases. You know, you, you don't have to solve the world in one thing. And that's what I absolutely love about Nova Credit. That's what I love about Climb Credit. That's why I loved having both of you on. So let's get to the most important piece then. How do our listeners find out more about, let's we'll start with Nova Credit? So if, if they want to learn, if they want to apply, where do they go?
1: Great. Yeah, I would say visit NovaCredit.com. On our homepage, you can select from a list of countries. If you want to get a card, you can apply directly through our card shop uh, for a credit card using your international credit history, um, and you can immediately get a leg up on uh, on your U.S. credit um, you can find us on LinkedIn. We're on Instagram. Uh, we're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on every social media platform. Um, if you search Nova Credit, we should be there.
0: Perfect. And Angela, where does my son? <laughs> I'll just give him your email. How's that? Well, for, for the listeners, though, where's the best place for Climb Credit?
2: Yeah, same with our website, www.climbcredit.com. And there you can um, learn about the different schools that we partner with and their outcomes and the career tracks that we're focused on. Um, we have a you know, blog that uh, details some details about some of our schools, but also some of our student success stories—people who have gone through the programs that we've supported—and kind of what they've seen on the other side. Um, and then we're also on all the social media platforms um, and are there, kind of talking about the about the stories that we see and the people who um, have been able to dramatically improve their their lives through um, the education um, and
0: career tracks that we support. Well, and as for 11FS, hell, you're listening to the podcast. So I hope <laughs> you know, our website. Um, but if you want to reach out to me, uh, Twitter is probably a good place at Sam Mall, and gets me on LinkedIn um, or just email me, Sam at 11FS.com. Everybody. Thanks for listening. Angela Marine. Thanks for being here, folks. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our podcast. That's incredibly important. Subscribing to it. Um, It really helps us uh, build out our listener base. More importantly, leave us a review. And more importantly, if you leave us a review, make it five stars. Because who wants four stars? Make it five. All right? And just reference, you know, Maureen and Angela. Say how great they were, right? You don't have to say anything about me. Or Hamilton, hell. Right? We can talk about Hamilton and the music there. But please do it. It helps us. It really helps us grow our audience and helps others find the show. Speaking of which, if you know someone who loves FinTech and who isn't listening to FinTech Insider, pass the pod along. Be a friend of the pod. Tell them about the show. We also love any recommended guests that you could pass along to us. Very simple to do. You can email us at podcast at 11 ofscom uh, If you want to give us feedback, you can find us on social media. Just search for 11FS. It's incredibly simple. Everyone, thanks for listening.